All right, good morning and happy Mother's Day. I invite you to take your Bible and open it to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at three moms and uh, godly uh, Christian women. Hebrews chapter 11 is uh, towards the back of your Bible. Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the great uh, hall of faith uh, for uh, people who exemplified faith during their life. And so the big idea here today is this, Mom, we want you to continue to live by faith, all right, and encourage you today. I know that Mother's Day is not always a pleasant day for some women, all right? There's a wide set of emotions that go along with this day. Perhaps you didn't have a good mother. Perhaps you're not a mother and you've wanted to be. Uh, Perhaps your mother has gone on into glory. So there might be other things that I haven't mentioned. And so uh, the struggle is a real difficult struggle for you on Mother's Day. Their emotions are all over the place. You want to be happy for other people. And, um, but sometimes there's just that hole and that hurt in your heart. And so today we want to encourage you um, by these examples that are listed for us here in Hebrews chapter 11. So we're going to look at the life of Sarah. Uh, we're going to look at a mother who is really unfamiliar to us, Jochebed. Anybody know who her children are? All right, you know who she is? Raise your hand. All right, so a lot of you are... Uh, going to learn about Jochebed today, uh, then Rahab, and then godly Christian women. So Hebrews chapter 11 is going to be our main text. Uh, we're going to look at some various texts, so you might need to be familiar with your Old Testament examples that are going around uh, in the sermon today. But Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 11, so we're going to start with Sarah. And uh, she uh, wasn't always a mother. As a matter of fact, uh, she wasn't a mother until after she was 99 years old. So I don't know that too many women actually want to start motherhood at age 99, not least in our contemporary culture, (laughs) okay? And uh, for her, it was quite a surprise as well. And uh, she thought she was as good as dead And uh, she thought that there was no hope for her. So let's look at Hebrews 11, verse 11. It says, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now, if you know your Old Testament Bible stories, you know that Sarah was Abraham's wife, and they struggled with infertility, and this was a real struggle for them, and uh, they made some mistakes. Uh, Both Abraham made mistakes, and together they made mistakes, and Sarah made mistakes. We'll look at some of these examples as we go through this today. But what we know is that through all of the failures and struggles that she lived, she's honored in Hebrews chapter 11. So there's hope today that if you're struggling through uh, motherhood, if you're struggling because you're not a mother, uh, if you struggle because you make mistakes, well then Sarah is a positive and encouraging example to you uh, that her faith helps her 
mature not just as a mother, but as a woman. And so she's listed here as one of the uh, heroines for women to look up to and to fix their attention on. Now, in Genesis chapter 12, uh, Abraham and Sarah are really aliens going to a foreign country. They're heading to the land of Egypt. And Abraham's wife, Sarah, well, she's described as very beautiful. She was a knockout, all right? And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 14, uh, Abraham was afraid. He said, when we go to Egypt, the Egyptians are going to see how beautiful you are, so I want you to lie, and I want you to say that you're my sister. Well, the Egyptian men took notice of this beautiful woman, and Oh, she's your sister. Whew, man, all right, so she's, she's eligible. So Pharaoh, being the most powerful man, I guess he claims dibs, and he says, I want her to come into my palace. I want her to become one of my wives. And um, so under the lie that uh, she is Abraham's sister. And of course, we know that that doesn't go well, and there's a curse that is put upon Pharaoh's household, and then Pharaoh comes to Abraham and says, why did you lie to me about this? Well, not only was she beautiful and desired by men, but she was infertile. She could not have children. And this became a frustration to her in life. Um, So then we come to, and if you want to go over there, to Genesis chapter 15. She was so frustrated that she comes up with a very carnal, fleshly solution. Now, they've left Egypt. They've gone back to the promised land. In Genesis chapter 15, um, in Genesis 16, verse 2, uh, Genesis 15, 4, Genesis 16, 2, her solution is this. Abraham, I can't give you children, so why don't you take my lady-in-waiting, Hagar. Why don't you marry her as a second wife and have children by her in my name so they'll be my kids? And Abraham's like, hmm, let me think about that. Sure, why not, right? Being a fleshly-minded husband. Well, all of this does not work out well for them. And let me be honest with you. The reasons why we're having problems politically in the Middle East today is because of that family decision. The child that was born, his name was Ishmael. He becomes the descendants of what we know today as the Arab nations. And then years later, God comes to Abraham and he says to Abraham, I will give you a son. And God told Abraham, believe me, I'll do this. And about this time next year, I will restore to you, Abraham, and to your wife, Sarah, the ability to have children. So Abraham is 100. He's waited 25 years for this. And Sarah is 99. And so biologically, physiologically, they're all dried up. And they're not going to have 
children. But God does a miracle. He restores to them youth and vitality. And they have a son. His name is Isaac, which means laughter. When Sarah heard God tell Abraham, I'm going to give you a son, and about this time next year, your son will be here. Sarah heard it, and she laughed at that. Oh, really? That's, that's a good one, God. All right? Look at me. All right? I'm all worn out and stooped over. There's no way that this is going to happen. But God does do the miracle. And so their fleshly attempt to bring about God's promise of a son, it caused problems because immediately after Ishmael was born, Hagar began to exalt herself because she saw that she was the one who was able to give Abraham children. And Sarah became so mad that she was jealous and she kicked Hagar out and said, go to Egypt and live there. Take your son and get out of here. And of course, we know the story that uh, Hagar and Ishmael are on the road to Egypt or in the desert and they've just basically sat down to die and God shows them water and then tells them to go back home and Abraham and Sarah have to live with the consequences of the choices that they have made. And so, uh, you know, this is something that was a fleshly attempt to solve a spiritual problem because they had been given the promise, but their faith was weak. And so they tried to solve it themselves. So moms, sometimes what might appear to be an answer you need to double-check it with the Word of God because you can actually compound the problems like Sarah did. She didn't wait. But now, why is she then listed in Hebrews chapter 11? Well, because God uh, gives them that son and she actually then did learn to believe the promise. And so let's go back to Genesis chapter 17 now. And uh, keep a ribbon here in Hebrews 11 and go to the first book of the Bible, uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 17. Genesis 17, 17, it says, Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 uh, years and old and bare, all right, now go over to chapter 18. Chapter 18 and verse 12. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord also being old. All right, well... That's a good question, but then God does give them that son. You go over to chapter 21, and it says in verse 1, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. And Sarah, what? Verse 2, chapter 21, verse 2, she conceived. 
What a wonderful thing. And it says here, uh, at the time of which God had spoken unto them, verse three, and Abraham called the name of the son that was born unto whom Sarah bare unto him, Isaac. You know what the name Isaac means? Laughter. Joy. God brought them laughter. God brought them joy. After all the years of frustration and failure, and ultimately what Romans describes is Abraham thought he was as good as dead. But yet, faith was alive in their hearts. So not only is Abraham credited for his faith in Hebrews 11, but Sarah is too. And so, I guess the hope and encouragement here is this. Jesus said in the New Testament, if you have faith the side of of a mustard seed, that's pretty small, but yet it can grow into great proportions. Hang on to God. Hang on to his promises. I, I remember one of the things that my mother did often is she would go through the Bible and she would look for promises and then she would claim them. But then she prayed about things and sought God's will whether promises were actually for her. And I can remember when I was a teenager asking questions about my grandmother, uh, Mabel uh, Copeland, and uh, she died when my mom was 11. Uh, she died at the age of, of uh, I think, 47 or so. And um, so I never really knew that, that grandmother. And my mom told me one day, she says, but you know, you don't need to worry about me dying young. Really? You know, how can you be so confident? She says, well, because I have met with God in the scriptures, and he told me that he would give me a long life and that I would see my children's children to the third generation. Well, she did. Passed away at 85 and had great-grandchildren. And God gave her those promises, and she claimed them. And so, like Sarah, search out the promises of God. Even if remotely it looks (laughs) impossible to you, just hang on to them. Because when God promises something, he's going to be faithful and he's going to keep his word, just like he says here in Genesis 21. And God performed his word. God is going to keep his word. And so, faith prevailing against natural impossibilities. Both Abraham and Sarah doubted it first, but both became persuaded of the truthfulness of the promise. And they overcame um, their frustrations. They overcame um, their fleshly attempts to solve problems. And they matured in great faith. So, Christian lady, we struggle forward. In the New Testament, author Paul says we chop forward. All right? And so... Keep going. Keep on keeping on. Be like Sarah. And uh, so she was certain of God's promises. Be certain today that what God has promised to you. All right, our next heroine is mentioned for us in verse 23 of Hebrews 11. So let's go there and look at Jochebed. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. 
By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. All right, so this all unfolds to us in the beginning of the book of Exodus. Uh, So let's go to Exodus chapters 1 and 2. So put a ribbon here again. And let's go back and look at what's going on in this particular story. Now, who's the child? You already got his name. Moses, all right? So in Exodus chapters 1 and 2, you're going to find out a little bit about the birth of Moses. And that his parents had faith uh, and they defied and they were not afraid of the king's mandate or the king's authority. And so here, uh, let's just read this, and my fingers are taking a little extra time getting there today. Chapter 1 sets the stage. The Israelites are in bondage in the land of Egypt. Then we see that the nation is growing. And verse 1 of chapter 2, and there went a man of the house of Levi, and took a wife, a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when they saw that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. So her actions are specifically mentioned, that she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch, and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And uh, his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and the maidens walked along the riverside. And uh, when they saw the ark among the flags, she sent the maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Well, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, had made a decree. Um, The Israelites are growing too fast. And what we believe is happening is the Hyksos, uh, were not an indigenous Egyptian group. They came from outside Egypt, and they usurped power. And so they're small in number, and they're afraid of the Israelites or the Hebrews because they're growing in their population rapidly. And so the Hyksos Pharaoh says, okay, um, we need to put some limits here on the population of the Hebrew people. So when there is a male child that is born, it needs to be killed. And so after a few months, uh, the king calls the midwives back in and says, what's going on? Did I not give an order to kill the baby children? And they're like, well, we just don't know what to tell you, O king. Um, the Hebrew women are very lively. They're not like those lazy Egyptian women. Uh, They give birth quickly. And by the time we get there, the baby's born already. So we're not able to do what you say. All right. 
And so they feared God, and they would not do what the king commanded. The midwives wouldn't. Now, I'm not going to belabor the point, but let me just say this. When the devil is afoot, children are not safe. Children are not safe in our country today. They're not safe in our state. We need to pray. And God can change hearts. And God can protect children, can he not? And so we have a a story here of God protecting one of these children. And so um, she hides him in the bulrushes. And so the Pharaoh's daughter is down at the river, and uh, she's going to go bathing, so she sends her maidens along the shore. I'm thinking to myself, if, if you know anything about Egypt in the Nile River, I mean, they have crocs there, all right? I'm thinking, were they like her croc security guard team or something, or were they just bait so that she wasn't eaten first? You know, my very skeptical mind, what's going on? And so they were in the bulrushes, all right, down there in, in the flags, and they're searching it out. And uh, here they happen upon this basket, and they retrieve it, and they open the basket up, and there's Moses, just tears running and crying, and just melts her heart. She says, aw, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Do you think that she's well-informed to know what her father, the king, has commanded? I think there's a little bit of irony in all of this. God is having his way in Pharaoh's household, whether he wants to have his way or not. And um, so the irony in all of this is that um, she sees the child and um, all of what's taking place here. So verse 7, then said his sister, this would be Miriam, uh, Moses' older sister, says to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. All right, so there's some awesome power of God there. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's um, daughter and became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him out of the water. I just get a chuckle out of that. Jochebed got paid to take care of her own son. What a wonderful thing. So here I think we find hope, not necessarily for a fearful mother, because Hebrews chapter 11 uh, and here in Exodus chapter 2, we see a very determined mother to protect her child. So I don't think fear is involved here. I think there's concern, obviously. Any mother has natural concern for the safety of, of their child. Last time I checked, that's the case. All right. <clears throat> so I think what we have here is hope for the wearied soul 
the one who's concerned about the well-being of their child. The hopes and the dreams of what this child can be, what this child can achieve. Well, really, Jochebed is put in a situation where she has to trust God. She did all that she could possibly do to keep her child safe for three months. How do you hide a baby that long? That's a long time. And then she did all that she could possibly do to keep him safe. And I think there's great boldness. Go right into the heart of the situation, right where Pharaoh's family lives. Let's put him right there at the edge of the palace where they will never think to look for a child. That's great boldness to me. I don't think there's fear. And I think there's concern uh, for the safety of a child. Maybe there's weariness that's going on, but for the dreams of her child, what could this child be? Well, <clears throat> we know that, uh, that Moses' mother is called Jochebed. If you want to take this and look at this, her name is listed to us in Numbers chapter 26, verse 59. Now the name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, whom her mother bare to Levi in Egypt. And she bare unto Amram, Aaron and Moses, and Miriam, their sister. Well, her name is unfamiliar. Her child definitely is not. She was concerned because day after day she was hiding her son. But she had faith in God. God has a purpose for this child. Therefore, I'm going to defy the king's order. I'm going to keep this child alive, and I'm going to do what I can do. And so she entrusted her child to the safety of God. You know, there was that sentence of death hanging over that child's head. And when the Pharaoh's daughter opened the basket, the baby boy just could have very easily pushed the basket and the baby down into the water, and she would have kept the king's commandment. But instead, she had a mother's heart, and she embraced the child, and she raised that child as her own. And so faith vanquished all of the perplexities and the uncertainty about the unknown. Moms, are there uncertainties and unknowns about your kids? Will you trust God with your kids? I've seen some parents, when there's spiritual opportunities for ministry, some parents panic and fear and say, not my kid. My kid's not going to go do that activity. My admonition to you is, trust God to keep your kids safe. Safety is of the Lord. Proverbs puts it this way, that the spider dwells in the king's palace. If God wants to kill a king, all he has to do is send a poisonous spider to give the king a bite in the middle of the night. You see, your child is as safe as they'll ever be when they're in the will of God. And so she entrusted her son Moses to God. Now, there are other things that we could get into that are not necessarily Mother's Day uh, appropriate applications, such as defying school authorities, 
Um, but let me just say this. I think we live in a day and an age of anarchy. And uh, I'm concerned because I see anarchy in Christians as well as people in society. Um, believe me, um, I, I see anarchy in parents. No wonder why their kids struggle when the parents don't think that the kid has to live under the authority of teachers and instructions. That's scary stuff. So let's remember that Romans 13 teaches us to uh, obey the governing authorities, the powers that be. All right, now let's look at our third example. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11. Let's look at verse 31. Hebrews 11, verse 31. It says, By faith the harlot Rahab rejoiced, um, perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. All right, so who is Rahab? Well, the story is told in the book of Joshua, chapter 2, verse 9. So if you want to turn over there, you can look at it. Uh, the Israelites have been on their exodus from the land of Egypt to the promised land. They've gone through their 40 years of wanderings in the wilderness. And now they're coming into the promised land. And Rahab is not Jewish. She's a Gentile, and she hears what God is doing to the nations that oppose the Israelites. She heard what God had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. She had heard all of these stories about conquest all along, and in her heart, she was persuaded that God had determined destruction upon the people of Jericho. And so she is changing her beliefs. And so the children of Israel send spies into the land and they come to her city. And it says here in verse 31 that she had received the spies with what? With peace. We read in Joshua chapter 2, verse 9, that uh, the keepers of the gate were very observant. They saw the Hebrew spies come into the city, and they even noted that they went to Rahab's house. And so the king calls her in and says, Rahab, give us the spies. And she says, oh, it's true. They came to my house, but where they went, I don't know. Well, she hid them. And she tells the spies, the two Israelite men, she says, I know that God has determined destruction upon the people of Jericho. You see, at this point, Rahab is coming to faith. And that's why she's listed in Hebrews chapter 11. There's a change in her beliefs where she puts her trust in the God of the Hebrew people. She knows that he's the true and the living God. Therefore, she'll set aside all of the gods that the people in Jericho worship. Now, lest we think that there's any pretense about what she did for a living, how is she described in Hebrews chapter 11? As a harlot. 
as a prostitute. So yes, there's going to be men going to her house, all right? But she's going to have a change of behavior. Behavior follows belief. So there's a change in behavior. Uh, There's a change in uh, her beliefs. And so here we see um, hope for the outcast woman. You know, uh, we find Jesus having compassion upon outcast women. Mary Magdalene, an outcast of society, and Jesus casts out seven demons from her. We see uh, the religious leaders uh, setting up this woman and setting up Jesus. Uh, But they, they go and they take her from the bed of adultery and they bring her to Jesus and say, what does the Old Testament law command that should be done to this woman? She was taken from the bed of adultery. And Jesus said, he that is without sin, let him be the first to cast the stone. And beginning with the oldest to the youngest, they filed out one by one. They left, and Jesus says, where are your accusers? They're not here, Lord. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And so she encountered Jesus that day. And that woman that was taken in adultery, she believed in Jesus. Then Jesus said, now, with changed belief, changed behavior. Go sin no more. So there's hope for the outcast in society. And we read the exchange of what takes place in Joshua chapter 2. And she tells the two spies, Now when you come to destroy the city, promise me that my household will be safe for what I've done. Because I believe in your God. And so they say, yes, we make that promise and that pledge to you, but here's the sign of what you need to do. You need to hang a scarlet thread out your window. And when we come, no disaster will be upon you or those that are in your home. Well, the book of James is nearby, so let's just go over and look here at the book of James chapter 2 and look at verse 25, and we'll see uh, what James says about this. So Hebrews... And then if you followed up, James is the next book. James chapter 2, verse 25. Likewise also was not Rahab that harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. All right. So what James is trying to write in his letter, those that believe, they can back it up with a changed life. You can see it with your eyes. Do you think that might be a problem in, quote, evangelical Christianity in this nation today? People say, oh, yes, I'm a Jesus follower, but then they never show any evidence that they're a Jesus follower, right? So that's what the whole book of James is written about. If you say you're a believer, show me your faith without your works. You really can't do that. But James says, I will show you my faith by my works. Well, how do we know that Rahab then became a believer? By her works. She hid the spies. Her behavior had changed. And so this was the justification, the proof that she was a believer in God. And so we see the the hope for the outcast woman and her family. 
And the amazing thing about all of this is if you read the genealogies that take place just a few years after this, Rahab is the mother of Boaz. Moaz marries the Moabite woman Ruth, whose son is Obed, whose son is Jesse, whose son is David, whose descendant is Jesus Christ. She's a mother in the family line of our Savior. What amazing grace. So maybe you're a woman today and you're looking like I'm an outcast in life. Maybe it's very difficult. Maybe there's estranged and broken family relationships. Let God work. I remember years ago, uh, there was a, a woman in our addiction recovery program that God had transformed her so beautifully within 18 months. But there was a hole in her heart because her addictions had ruined her family life. And she searched and she came across an address for her son. She came with to, to me with just despair and hurt in her heart. Pastor, what do I do? I want to make contact with my son, but they don't know that I've changed. They don't know that I've received Christ as my Savior. And I said, well, Margo, there's only one thing you can do. By faith, write that letter and send it. And just see what God will do. Well, she never heard back. But you know what? God gave her a large family of believers that helped her grow and mature. And when she passed away 18 months after becoming a Christian, she was as mature as she could possibly be at that stage in her Christian development. And she was a remarkable testimony of a woman that was an outcast. People said, man, we did not like her. But something happened. And now she's actually a decent person. And it's like, right there. That's hope for an outcast woman. That God can change the life. And God changed Rahab. So she was unfamiliar to us, but we know her descendants. And so she was put in that position, a situation where she knew that the Canaanites were going to be defeated. She must side with God or enter then truly a hopeless contest against God. She believed God's way was better to man's way. And so her thoughts changed. And changed thoughts led to changed behaviors. So let me tell you this. There is a way which seems right unto a man, but the way thereof is the way of death. See, you're here in church today. I'm so glad you are. And you're hearing a message from the Bible. But the Bible contains a completely different way of thinking about life. And we are to have the mind of Christ as Christians. 
And the Bible is described as that of which is water, it washes and cleanses us. And so I hear a lot of people say about Christians, well, they tell you what to think. Praise God. Think the mind of Christ. And a changed way of thinking led to Rahab's salvation. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. You know, sometimes I struggle with pessimism. And I have to repent of that. And I have to go to God and say, but God, that's not you. You're a God of faith, a God of hope. And so there's hope here for this. Now, it says there in um, Hebrews chapter 11 that she did not perish with those that believed not. Simple disbelief, unbelief. That's all you need to perish. Not any other sin. So Rahab was one of how many thousands of people in the city of Jericho, and she was saved because she believed. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to life. Jesus Christ said he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes on to the Father but by him. And so whether you're a woman or a man here today, you can look up to Rahab as a hero because she's listed in the hall of faith. When confronted with the reality of who God is, she believed and she changed. Today you're confronted with the reality that God is a holy God and sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross to pay your sin debt. That's the truth. Let God be true and every person a liar. Be fully convinced of the reality and the truth of the gospel. Change. Put your faith in Christ. And when you do, the good news is you will be saved, just like Rahab was. And then your life will begin a process of change after your salvation decision. And God will gloriously change you into his image. Because that's why we're here today, is to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So put your trust in Christ today. And then closing, and I'll not belabor this point too long, but Hebrews 11.35 says that godly women conquered death's power. Now, I've not been very good on the slides, but Rahab comprehended God's plan. So will you comprehend God's plan? And then our closing point is godly women conquered death's power. And so in verse 35, it says they received their loved ones back to life again. So there's two examples in the Old Testament, one under the ministry of Elijah, the other under the ministry of Elisha, where there were widows or women who God had given sons. 
through the prophetic ministry of Elijah and Elisha telling them that they would have a son because of, even though one of them was a Gentile, even though that they were a Gentile, but yet they believed in the true and the living God. And when their children died, then they came to the prophets and said, now what's God say about this? Is God punishing me? Is God really doing this to me? And Elijah prayed uh, over the widow's son and he came back to life. And Elisha went up into the upper chamber and um, raised the, the other family's son to life. But I want us to close with this example. Let's go over to Luke chapter 7 and let's look at verses 12 through 16. This would be, I think, if this woman was alive, uh, one of the women that would not have joy on Mother's Day. A very sad event is taking place in Luke chapter 7. Jesus is coming into town and there's a uh, funeral procession coming out of town. So in uh, Luke 7, beginning in verse 12, um, we see that as Jesus comes near uh, the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a what? A widow. Don't you think that's the apex of agony and sorrow? You've lost your husband, and now you've lost your only son. No hope. It's going to be hollowness and emptiness in the heart. Um, my mom passed away. She went to heaven five years ago. Um, our mother, my mother-in-law passed away just a couple years ago. And uh, today as I went outside, uh, one of the pots that she had given to us uh, before she sold her house, a beautiful cactus was all in bloom, just covered in gorgeous blooms that are setting up. And one of them was just smiling at us. But how appropriate, it opened up on Mother's Day. But I know my mom and my mother-in-law are in heaven. There's hope. And there's other children that we sent a text and said, look what happened this morning. But not this lady. Husband's dead. Now her only son is dead. There's a funeral procession. They're going out to bury him. And it says, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, weep not. Really, Jesus? Woman, don't cry. Does she know what he's going to do? You see, our emotions have to be put in check by our faith. There's no Christian alive that can live by their emotions. Your emotions don't help you grow but your faith does. And so the, the harsh reality is we may experience the commands where God gives us a command and we're going to say, but my emotions are not there, God. My heart isn't there, God. I would feel like a hypocrite if I came to church, God. I'm thinking as this woman is listening to the command of Jesus, 
Okay. Weep not. And he came, verse 14, to the buyer. And they that bare him stood still. And he said unto the young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him, what's the next phrase? To his mother. What a beautiful day. Hi, Mom. Mom, I love you. Lots of people around. And Jesus is like, Mom, here's your boy. I told you not to weep. And so here is hope for any Christian woman. Here is hope for any Christian is that our Savior takes things that appear to be dead, things that maybe really are dead, and he brings resurrection life to them. That's the power of our God. In Sunday school this morning for the kids, we studied the last of the Easter uh, lessons that God raised his son from the dead that showed that Jesus Christ had power over sin, because when we sin, we die, and he had power over death. This shows Jesus to be the Lord of life, the Son of God. The appropriate response is to worship him, to believe on him. And so faith enabled these people to receive promises. This is very interesting. If you look at verse 39, all of these people that are listed... They did not receive the singular promise, but now in Christ, that singular promise has been fulfilled. And so God's plan for the Old Testament saints was that they would be included with New Testament Christians who share the hope of resurrection in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have hope against all seeming odds and possibilities. Mom, be encouraged today. God can take a dream that has died, can take a loved one that has believed in Jesus and bring them alive again. God can take the outcast, and if he can include her in the line of the Messiah, God can place the solitary into families. Be encouraged. God can take the endangered child and show a sovereign power and work his whole redemptive plan of salvation. God can use your child for his kingdom. Be encouraged, mom, that God does the miraculous. That he took Abraham and Sarah and he gave them a promise. Believe the promises of God today. So, if you have kids with you today, like Sarah, just go home and laugh with them. Laugh in the joy of Christian motherhood. Laugh in the reality that Jesus is so beautiful and the hope that he is.